We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to September and welcome NICU Awareness Month. If you are listening to this podcast and it is not September, feel free to mark your calendar now to celebrate, honor, and remember all those who have experienced or work in the NICU next September. I'm really excited to bring you this podcast. Samantha Beckstrom has become a dear friend, and today's podcast highlights Samantha's experience as a first-time mom who experienced preterm premature rupture of the membranes, or also referred to as PPROM. While we know this is not everyone's experience, we hope that Samantha sharing Lily Bell's journey will encourage your heart. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy our conversation. I thought we might start by talking a little bit about how you and I met. Maybe share how we got to know each other and introduce yourself and your family. Well, my name's Samantha. I have two babies that have gone through the NICU. I met Tamara through the NICU. And I think I remember when you came in, I was in the middle of doing just the hands-on time diaper change, my normal in the room stuff. And you kind of came in and you were just introduced yourself and telling me about the Sunday meetings and trying to get moms like me to go in there and talk to other moms who are going through the same thing. Um, Since this was very new to me, um, I had no idea what the journey was going to look like after she was born. And so it was nice having someone come in and, and talk to me about other parents going through the same thing because I, all my siblings, they've had healthy, normal pregnancies, no issues. And so this was very new to our family and no one knew what we were going through. I always kind of talk about our our moments of introduction seem a little awkward at first because I'm really not there as a nurse. I'm not there as a doctor or anything. I'm just there to be a, a you know a, a friendly face and someone that is I'm going to try to walk with someone through some hard times. Remind me and and tell our listeners about Lily Bell and um, how early she was and maybe part of that process because you were actually on bed rest in the hospital for a while. Um, so I was 21 weeks. We were two days away from going on a trip to Canada. We, I was doing last minute shopping. My husband was in woodwork, um, for work. And so that night, um, that things started changing, I kind of felt fluid come out and I heard people say, oh, you pee yourself sometimes when you're pregnant. And I'm like, okay, maybe that was it. This is my first one. And so then that night I woke up, it was like four o'clock in the morning and my bed was soaked. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I peed myself. So I called my husband and he said, call, you know, call the hospital and see what they think. And so we called and they told me to come up. So um, he was in Woodward. So I drove myself to the hospital and checked in and they were going to do a swab to see if it was fluid or whatnot. And that nurse actually who checked me in. She, she's been amazing. She was there the whole time. She's still at the hospital. Um, she actually saw me for my last circlage. 
so she was kind of the one who first introduced us to the hospital stuff that we were going to be going through um, and was just super, super nice and great bedside manner. She just welcomed me um, and didn't make it so scary because it was very scary. I was by myself. Um, so they did the swab and they said, yep, that was that was fluid. We were supposed to go to Canada in two days and uh, for a wedding. And they said, no, you're you're going to be here now. And because I was so early, they pretty much said, we can't really do anything at this point because you're 21 weeks. Baby's not big enough. So they had a specialist come in and see me and talk to me. I was in the hospital for a couple days um, running tests. They hooked me up. IV and everything because they said usually when your water breaks you go into labor within 48 hours. So we were at the hospital for a couple days. Specialist came in, kind of talked to me. Um, she took over instead of my other doctor, gave me the steroid shots and stuff, gave me everything that they were trying to give me in case I was to go into labor. Um, but at that point the doctors kind of said we can't really do anything for you. Your baby's not big enough. You're our main priority. The baby is not at this point. So that was very scary uh, that they were telling, you know, that they can't do anything. So they, I think I was there for three days. Um, I saw the doctor before, my specialist before we went home. They pretty much said, we're going to have to release you. And if you go into labor, I mean, come back. But we can't do anything at the hospital for you right now until your baby hits a certain weight limit. It was like so many grams, I don't know. And so we went home and we were home for a couple days. Then we had to go back to see the specialist. Um, and it was a miracle that when I went back to see her, the baby had hit that within like two or three days. So she said, okay, well, the baby is big enough now for us to admit you back to the hospital. So looks like you're going to be joining us. So I went to the hospital. Um, we checked in. We knew it was going to be a long, we were in it for the long haul. They kind of just told me that at any point, you know, you could go into labor or whatnot um, since your water had broke. Um, what I didn't know is that your water refills, um, your placenta, your fluid. And so we kind of moved into the hospital. We bought a mini fridge. We bought our own sheets and a bed thing um, to make it comfy. I mean, we, we planned on being there until hopefully we could get close to full term. So yeah, so we just moved, we moved into the hospital and um, doctors would come in, you know, every day, every week telling us, okay, now you're at this point. Um, I mean, there was a doctor that we called Dr. Doom. He came in and write the facts on the board of, you know, your baby has this percent of survival at this time and then walk out. And that was it. That first interaction with him was like, oh my God, like, that's what you leave us with and then you just leave and so we're kind of terrified but we knew that as long as we were there and as long as we could keep her in and just I mean I was on bed rest so we were there for seven weeks I was I had someone with me luckily every day um because we didn't know when I would go into labor or anything so my mom came in from Colorado my mother-in-law would stay my husband um his work was really great they gave him a lot of paid time off so he could be there with me. Um, so they tried to make it so that I was never alone. Uh, I mean, we played cards a lot. My mom would do pedicures and stuff um, just to pass the time and make it seem somewhat normal. Um, we decorated my room. We were there over the 4th of July. And so they would decorate my room with 
just different things. And every week we would take a picture of my belly that was very small at that time. Um, I just barely started showing when my water broke. So yeah, so we were there for seven weeks and at 28 weeks, it was right after my husband's birthday and we had a big lunch and cake and all of that. And I'm like, I don't feel so good. And so I went to the bathroom and I literally felt her foot kick me. Um, and so I called the doctor and they're like, no, that's not possible. And I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure I felt her foot. And so they came in and checked and yep, uh, about 10 people came in, rushed in and hooked me up to everything, giving me meds and kind of rushed me out real quick to uh, go deliver Lily Bell. So you actually were taken to be delivered by C-section. Yes. At that point. Because yeah, at that point her foot was coming through. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you're just, your water broke at 21 weeks. They kept you for a couple of days for some testing just to make sure you were okay. You were the, you were their priority and they didn't think it, at 21 weeks, she would be able to survive the viability mm -hmm. of that. And then you were actually admitted at 20. I was like 22. Cause it was only a couple days later that I went back and they're like, okay, she hit the weight. So we'll check you in. So it was almost 22 weeks. I was 21 and a half probably by the time I got checked back in. And then tell us, just so we don't keep everybody in suspense here, uh, Lily Bell did just have a birthday, right? She just turned seven years old. <laughs> seven years old. So yeah, so so she um, she definitely overcame that that traumatic birth um, experience as far as that goes. So we've made it through her delivery. You made it through those seven weeks in the hospital decorating your room, trying to make it a home away from home for yourself and make yourself comfortable. Now, now you have her. Now she's here. She's a 28-weeker. Tell me what you remember about her weight, her, that experience um, going into the NICU. And, and I mean, I know she was there for a long time. So how long was she there? She was there for five months to the day. So, so we're going to try to take five months worth of time and put it into, you know, like 30 minutes of conversation here. But, um, but I, I definitely want you to kind of talk to us about how much she weighed and what they shared with you as some of going to be her biggest struggles um, as you were able to progress and, and try to get her home. Um, so she was born, she was three pounds, um, and it's, she was bigger than they thought. Um, usually 28 weekers are about a pound and a half, two pounds maybe. Um, and that's what they looked at the scan before um, she was born. And then she came out three pounds. So they were kind of shocked at her weight, which was good. It helped, helped her. But yeah, she came out and because my water broke at 21 weeks, that seven weeks, she had really no fluid. So her lungs were very, very brittle, um, stuck together. They, she just could not breathe. So I just remember she was, they delivered her and put her in like a, it looked like a Ziploc bag, um, wrapped her up and then took her out and she was gone. So then I was there, my husband went with her. I was there by myself. They were, you know, getting me sent back together and bring me back to my room. And at this point they were not telling me anything. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, just that she was being taken to the NICU. And I remember when we were on bed rest, they did take me to the NICU for a tour just to show me because they pretty much said your baby will go to the NICU um, once she's born. Um, so we just want you to kind of know what it looks like, what you're going to be doing in here. 
so I, we already kind of toured and had an idea of what the rooms look like and kind of got to see everything that was going on behind the scenes before a baby went in there. But so she was born. Um, I didn't get to see her, oh, probably, probably about eight hours um, because they gave me so many meds and I was so kind of messed up from all of that that they wanted me to be able to get up into a wheelchair before they could wheel me over. And so it took a long time. Um, so I just remember going over there and um, it was hot. It was really hot in the NICU in the room. Um, she was by herself and she was tiny. She fit in the palm of your hand. And so when we went in, we weren't allowed to really touch or do anything. We just, they wheeled me in and I got to look at her through, they pulled up her little blanket over her isolate. And I kind of got to just look at her and see her for a little bit. And that was kind of it for a little bit. And then they wheeled me back and, you know, they had me start pumping and trying to get that going for her. But yeah, she, three pounds. And then she was hooked to, hooked up to all sorts of machinery. She had, because her lungs were so stuck together, they had her on an oscillator, which is um, a really fast, uh, well, it's a machine that pumps air into her lungs for her. So that was to help kind of open them up because they were stuck together for so long. But yeah, and just lots of medication. Um, they, I remember they had to do her, check her blood. So they would poke her foot every two hours um, to check her O2 levels and see kind of where she's at, what she needed. But yeah, so the first, I mean, I didn't get to hold her until she was three weeks. So I got to go in and kind of just look at her and kind of see what they did for changing time, you know, and all of that. But they didn't let us touch her or anything because she was hooked up to so much. Um, and with the oscillator and all of that, it was, if that came out of place, that was really, really bad. Um, so they didn't want to move her a ton. The hardest part was going home. You had to go home without your baby. And she, I mean, we had no idea how long she was going to be in there or kind of what her journey was going to look like because she was, her lungs were so bad. I remember she lost weight. She was having problems with eating and finding the right kind of formula to give her uh, with my milk. Um, but yeah, so she, she got in there and because we didn't know how long she was going to be in there, I went back to work probably three or four weeks after she was born because I wanted to save my maternity leave for when she came home. So I went back part-time um, and we, my job was about 20 to 30 minutes away from the hospital and we lived in Mustang at the time. So we were about 30 minutes away from the hospital as well. Every day, um, kind of once we got through that first couple weeks, I got on a schedule um, where I would go and I'd go to work early. I worked at a school in Oklahoma City and I'd go and at lunch, on my lunch break, I'd run over to the hospital, get to see her and do her change and all of that. And then I would be there for about an hour, go back to work for a couple hours. And then as soon as I got off, I'd go back to the hospital and stay with her for a little bit, um, for an hour or so, and then go home, have dinner. And then me and my husband would go back at night. Um, so we could go see her. The only reason I went back to work is because I wanted to save my maternity leave. Um, but I feel like it did help me get out of my head because before I went back to work, uh, you're constantly 
sitting there by the phone um, when you're not at the hospital. You're wondering what's going on. I would call up there all the time to kind of just check in on her to see how she was doing. And so after a while, it, it wears you out, um, constantly just worrying, not knowing what's going on, not being there. And so when I did get go back to work, it did. It helped me get my mind off of it for a little bit, but I would still have my routine where I'd go see her at lunch. And then after work, I'd go and um, about three weeks was when I was able to hold her. So then I could go up there and hold her after I got off of work. Um, so the having that schedule really did help keep me mentally there. Um, just, I mean, and the biggest thing I would say to parents is you have to take care of yourself. You get worn down really fast, especially if you're there all day long. I know they tell you, you know, go get lunch or go do something. And you really do need to break away. And it's really hard when your baby's there and if they're super sick or kind of unstable. But if you yourself get sick, then you can't go back up there. And that's what I kept telling myself is if I get sick, then I can't go see her. So I really need to make sure that I'm taking time for me to do something, whether it's, I mean, every time we leave the hospital at night, I would get an ice cream on my way home. That was just my little happy Thing. And so we would stop at McDonald's and get an ice cream and go home and kind of rest um, for a little bit. And then we would do our call before we went to bed. And then sometimes when I would get up in the middle of the night to pump, I would call again to check on her um, about two or three in the morning. And then it kind of just started over. We'd call when we woke up to see how she was doing, how her night was and that sort of thing. But having a schedule or a routine and taking time for yourself is big, is, especially when you know they're going to be there for a little bit. Like we did, we knew she was going to be there for quite a while. And so just establishing that really helped us stay positive, I think. You mentioned the lungs and you mentioned an oscillator. And I know that sometimes we talk um, from a family perspective, we don't always understand all the terms and all the equipment that goes on when it, we're the, the babies are back there and getting taken care of. But um, but I know we kind of have the oscillator and then we have the conventional ventilator and then we have uh, the CPAP and, you know, there, then we've got oxygen and then the wall unit. And, and so do you remember how long she was on um, a ventilator and did the doctors ever really talk to you about, um, because I mean, your discharge, you were there for five months. So you were there long after your due date. Tell us a little bit about some of those conversations and, and how those transpired. Yeah, so she she was on the oscillator for a long time. She was on it for almost three months, if not over three months, um, which they don't want them on there um, because it does, it can damage their lungs um, being on the oscillator. So we were on the oscillator and they kept, I mean, every once in a while they would try to put her on the ventilator and she just, she would not do well, so they'd have to put her back on the oscillator. So we were on that for over probably three months. Um, and then we went to the ventilator for a while. Again, every once in a while, they would try to wean her down and get her off those big equipment um, machines and put her on just oxygen and she would dip and they'd have to put her back. So, I mean, she was on the big machines for quite a while. Um, so my due date was October 15th. Um, she was born July 23rd, so she was still way early, um, and, you know, at that time, they kept saying, you know, maybe by her due date, she'll get to come home, but after she was on the oscillator for so long, we knew that was, it was not going to be around her due date, so then the next one, they said, oh, hopefully by Thanksgiving, um, Thanksgiving will be, you know, the next, we're going to shoot for that, 
but again, by then we were just getting off the ventilator and the oscillator stuff and it was not Thanksgiving either. Um, and so they're like, well, maybe by Christmas, maybe by Christmas she'll get to come home. And so that was the hard part is they get your, you know, they say, oh, maybe this. And so you're thinking like, okay, uh, Thanksgiving, we'll have her home. And then it comes and goes and she's still there. And, you know, and so that was the hard part is having those little things thinking, oh yes, she'll get to come home. And she didn't. But I mean, for us, we had to look at it. We went day by day. We couldn't look in advance because we just knew with her lungs being so bad when she was born that it, it just needed time. And that's what they kept telling us is it's just time. Um, for her to heal, to get her lungs where they're supposed to be. And you can't, you can't push that. Um, I mean, they would do steroids and they would do all the medications that she needed and the steroids, they would call it her, um, oh, what are they, like superpower juice or something. Um, and when she'd get it, she would feel really well. I mean, she would do really good for like the first couple of days and then she would dip again. So it was for us, yeah, it was kind of sad that she wasn't gonna be home for her due date or Thanksgiving. But we just knew we had to go kind of day by day and, and see where she's at. And she would do really well. And then she'd have a setback. And when you have a setback, you kind of just, okay, now where do, now what? And so we just kind of get back on track and keep going. And so, yeah, so we, we did, we were on the oscillator and the ventilator for probably four-ish months um, total with the big machines. And then they finally got her onto just where it was in her nose but doing puffs, um, not regular oxygen, it was puffing. And so she was on that for a while too, before they could even get her to room or off the, just like a regular oxygen tank. So we were on all of that for quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, she was on a ventilator for quite a while. So did, did you go home with oxygen and, and kind of what was that transition like? So the last two weeks of our stay at the hospital were very, very, um, uh, not exciting, but just like full, full force. So um, because they couldn't get her off the high oxygen, they came to us and um, said, you know, we're looking at having to get her, uh, get a trach is our next move because she can't get off the oxygen um, and she can't go home on this high, high flow of an oxygen um, that she's needing at the hospital. And so they did, they had the conversation where they brought me in and said, listen, we need to talk about next steps for her to have her be at her best um, because I mean five months a five-month-old baby should not be on their back in a hospital bed um, five-month-old babies are up and they're mo you know like doing stuff and so we brought a swing up um, and put it in the doorway so they would put her in her swing to get her out of the bed um, and so that she could see what was going on in the hospital we just didn't want her laying there for that long. And so uh, when they came to us and said, you know, this is our next step, if we can't change anything, um, we need to have a discussion about that because that's coming up here soon. And they told us on a Friday. And um, I was devastated because that's, it's, it's hard. It's a hard um, realization. And we knew other kids who had gone through the trach um, and they were doing great. But for your own child, it was very scary. So we went home, sorry. <laughs> um, we went home and we talked about it. <laughs> and we said, if that's what she needs, we'll do it. Um, sorry. 
it never leaves us, does it? I mean, truly the emotions that we experience and that we felt uh, during those conversations, they never leave us. And I think this was one of the scariest times for me. And I know that there were times that they didn't think she was going to survive, but I never thought that. I always, I always knew that she was going to come home. And so I guess this one was the one that just got me. Um, so Friday, they told us, we went home, we talked about it and we said, yep, we'll do it if she has to have it. So we went up Monday and we talked to all the doctors um, to have the conversation. And when we got in there, they said, she must've been listening because she doesn't need the trach anymore. And um, her oxygen actually was able to go to the next level down over the weekend. Um, and she had to go home within two weeks of that conversation, which is a miracle in itself um, from having that conversation. But yeah, so we, I said she must have heard me in the room because when they told us, we kind of went over to her and we're like, we are not doing this. You better get your, you know get this together. We're not going to do a trach. You need to get off this oxygen. And she listened. <laughs> that, that, um, I, I love that there is a happy ending. And, um, and if she needed one, you, would, you were willing to do it. You were willing to jump in there and, and provide that for her. But clearly, yeah. like you said, she heard that conversation and she's like, mm, I'm kind of done with this place. It's time. It's yeah. Time to <laughs> yes. Well, and she, I mean, she was so strong in the NICU because like I said, they were they were poking her foot every two hours to check her blood gas, you know, towards middle of it, she wouldn't even flinch. Like they would have me hold her so that she was in a more comfortable um, setting. Um, and she wouldn't cry. She wouldn't flinch like nothing. Like it was just, that was kind of her routine. Um, so I feel like her being there, she just, she learned to cope with things in there um, and got used to some of it, which, normal I mean most people don't go through this stuff in their lifetime <laughs> that she went through in five months yeah so you went home with oxygen I'm assuming since um she probably didn't just just need oxygen and then suddenly didn't but you guys went home <laughs> with the oxygen and was that an easy transition it was hard um so they told us so it was right before Christmas so December 23rd is when they told us and they told us I guess the 22nd my sister was in town visiting and they said so um, we're going to send her home tomorrow. And we were like, what? <laughs> you know, we've been here for five months now. And all of a sudden, she's going home tomorrow. Um, so they're like, you need to go go to this place and get the concentrator and all of her oxygen stuff. And then you need to go and get all of her meds filled. Because she was on nine different meds when she came home from the hospital. We went and picked up the oxygen concentrator. And it must have been in a smoker's house because it reeked of smoke. So we took it back and said, absolutely not. Um, our baby is just coming home from the hospital. We cannot have any kind of that in, in the machine. So they gave us a different machine. Um, we were running around trying to get all of her meds filled. Um, it was a, a whirlwind of a day where it was like, okay, she's going home. They wanted her to get home before Christmas because they just said, you know, at Christmas, it's not, there's not as many staff working, um, and we just, we would like to get her out um, as, you know, as fast as possible, and we were like, okay. So, yeah, so she came home on oxygen, and we had to get the concentrator and a bunch of oxygen tanks, um, 
and all of the houses that go with it. I mean, because she was connected to this concentrator, we had to get like a 20 foot to 50 foot hose so we could go from room to room with her and not have to move the whole thing with us every time we went. But yeah, it was it was a crazy, <laughs> a crazy going home um, experience with her. And it was scary because we'd had nurses and help for five months and they knew exactly what to do and how much meds and everything to do. And then they're just sending her home and saying, here, you, you do it now. And I mean, her, her medication routine was, it was quite, uh, quite a thing. I mean, nine different medications, she was getting multiple medications multiple times a day. So we, I mean, we had a chart, we had to write down, okay, at this hour, she gets this, this, and this. And then, I mean, it was a, it was a big deal to, to get her home. No kidding. That sounded like a, a full-time job. I mean, essentially just trying to make sure that you were on, on task with everything as far as medication goes. And Yes. And a little bit. So she came home on the 23rd. Uh, the doctors wrote out all of her meds for us and dosages. We got her medications filled. Well, they didn't fill them the same as what the nurses told us. So when we got home, we gave her her first dose of meds and then realized that we gave her four times the amount that she was supposed to have because they filled it wrong. So then we had to call, we called one of our primary nurses and said, can you come over and come, I mean, can you come help us? Uh, we just noticed that the med, that they told us, they wrote down how much to give at each time, did not match what the label said. And so she was like, okay, she came over, she came and did a house call. Um, this nurse who, she saved our life. She was our mama bear in the NICU for her. She, um, she really stood up for her when she knew that things were not happening as they should. And um, anyway, she came over to our house after she got off of work and checked on her. And she's like, I would take her back, take her back to the hospital. So we ended up having to take her back to the hospital and she stayed overnight. So she didn't actually come home until the 24th. So you didn't really even feel like you got settled in. I mean, no. before having to take her back because of just kind of the chaos that. So how long was she on oxygen once you brought her home then? She was on oxygen until she was almost two years old. So we moved, um, we were at our house in Mustang for a year and uh, <clears throat> she was on oxygen. So we had, every, you know, all of her lung doctor appointments and everything. We kind of had our routine where I had a stroller that we would, I had a backpack that we kind of rigged to hold an oxygen tank. So I would put my diaper bag backpack on with the oxygen tank. We'd put her monitor on top of the stroller. And I mean, that was kind of just our, everywhere we went, we would have an oxygen tank. And um, yeah, I mean, we didn't get to really see her face free of anything until she was almost two. I mean, we would take it off to give her a bath real quick and then have to put her oxygen back on. But yeah, so she was almost two. We moved to Stillwater, and within two months, she was off oxygen, moving to Stillwater. Oh, wow. Better air there. That's what we said. We said she, just, she needed it down here. All right. That's all right. So now she is two. She's she's progressed as far as not needing the oxygen. Did you notice a lot of developmental delays, or were there things there that... Um, that I guess the early intervention type things, were there things that you were able to take advantage of from a, a parent perspective going home with this, who you knew was a premature baby, but not only premature, but was, you know, in the hospital well after she was her due date even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, um, 
I'm trying to remember how old she had to be, but we did. There was a program that she um, joined because they said a lot of preemies have a hard time crawling, um, especially when they're attached to oxygen. Um, and so we ended up going and taking part in a study over at um, OU Children's. They, they had this crazy, it was like a hairnet that had sensors and they would stick it on her head and it was like suction cups, like a, I mean, there were probably a hundred or so of these little suction cups that they would stick on her head and then um, they would lay her, they had this board um, and this thing created where they would lay her on her belly to see, and it would track her brain movement as she would try to like reach her hands forward or whatnot. Um, she hated it. She screamed bloody murder every time, but she hated being on her belly anyways, because I think of her oxygen needs. Um, but yeah, so she did that for oh, probably close to four months, four or five months, um, where she was took part in the study. And yeah, they just tracked and they would do different things and the machine would kind of move. So if it saw that she was trying to move forward, it would inch forward just a little bit to get her to kind of want to grab that toy or whatever she was reaching for. Um, so I do, I do believe that that helped quite a bit because yeah, she, I mean, a five month old is not still stuck in bed. Um, a five month old is doing different things at that time. So when she came home at five months, she was already delayed. I mean, she was already so delayed and, and everything that she was supposed to be doing. So I do feel like that study really, really helped get her to kind of just catch up a little bit. Um, she was delayed anyways with walking and, and crawling and stuff because of the oxygen. But I do feel that that study really helped give her a little extra movement to get her thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, we don't, we didn't do that at home. We did have therapy come to the house. So they would come once a week. Um, she had some um, PT and a little bit of OT come and they would practice things because she was laying in a bed for five months. Her legs were kind of froggy style. And so we did a lot of different leg exercises to get her so she wasn't as stiff. Um, yeah, they would come and, and do different exercises and show us what to do. So then we would do it all the time at home. And because she was on oxygen until she was two, uh, she did have speech therapy as well. Once we moved to, to Stillwater, we got her in speech therapy because she just, she, having that stuff down her throat for so long caused just some different aversions and different things. And so we needed to kind of help. We taught her sign language and she knew sign language and she could tell us through that, but her speech was just slower to come. Okay. So now you have this beautiful little girl who is amazing and is thriving at home. And from what I understand, she now was going to be a big sister. Yep. Yep. So we, <laughs> it took us a while to see if we wanted, to, I mean, we had to get her through all of her stuff first before we could even think about bringing another one in. And we were scared because we, we had no idea why my water broke at 21 weeks. Um, we did testing and they thought they knew and it came, I mean, they could not find an answer as to why, um, my water broke so early. And so it was scary trying to decide if we were going to have another one. And so she, we found out a little after she was about two, cause they're almost a year apart. So she was three, almost, um, a month shy of being three when we had our son. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we found out we were pregnant again and, um, this time they we saw the same specialist that we saw with Lily Bell and they uh 
because we didn't know what what happened, we did a cerclage um, at about 14 or 15 weeks and then weekly progesterone shots starting at 18 weeks with my son. It kept him in um, a lot longer. So he was a month early and he was only in the NICU for four days because of oxygen needs, um, but he got to go home when we when I got discharged. So much, much better NICU stay than the first than the first round. I'm so glad. I am so glad that that there was not a repeat um, situation altogether. So they definitely were able to help um, help in that situation. But now you are, can we share the news that you are expecting again? Yeah, I'm on my third, another boy, um, and I'm 24 weeks today. So we've done the same thing this round where I got my cerclage at 14 weeks and we started um, my progesterone shots at 16 weeks. And so we're just doing that every week now and hoping we can make it at least as far as we did with Bodie um, with this one. I love that. And how old is Bodie? He it just turned four. And then he'll have a he'll have a little brother of his own. Yeah. And hopefully you guys will be able to um, just take this one. And I mean, so much better with Bodie. So now maybe with this little guy, you'll be able to keep him in for until your until that C-section is scheduled. So that would be really good. Do you have a lot of anxiety even now with carrying this sweet baby? Are you is it something that you feel anxious about or are you are you better now that you've had one kind of almost a term and you don't have that, you've got a little bit of time in between that NICU experience with Lily? No, I'm, it's, it's still nerve wracking um, because we don't have a, a reason why my water broke at 21 weeks. It's always after I hit that 21 and then 22 and like as I each week, it's like, okay, just keep going another week, another week. And so it's, it's even with Bodie, it was scary because you have no idea. We did things to try to prolong, um, you know, labor and everything. And so it worked with Bodhi and I'm hoping and praying it works again with this one, but we just, you never know. And so that's the scary part is, and that's, that would be my thing for moms that had a very traumatic delivery or um, whatever the first time that there are things they can do. So, I mean, don't let that stop you if, if you wanted to have more kids there are people you can talk to and things they can do to help if you do want to have another one. Um, Cause that was, I mean, that was my biggest fear is, and that was with this one too. I'm like, I can't have another NICU baby and have two at home. And, you know, we're not close to the hospital anymore. And, and so that's why it, it took us longer to come to the, okay, let's have another one. Um, because it was scary. You just, you have no idea what could happen or, you know, what, what could go wrong in the pregnancy. Um, I mean, we've had a few miscarriages. We had one before Lily, and then I had another one before this one. So, I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, very true. Not that the dads need, you know, all of these shout outs, because, you know, we are the ones that do the hard work and carry the babies and all of that. But I would love for you to just kind of talk about his role and, and what were some things that he did that were really supportive of you um, through the, that journey? Yeah, um, like I said, when it started, I mean, he took off, we were in the hospital for seven weeks and he took off probably at least five of those seven when I didn't have my mom or mother-in-law there. Um, and he stayed there every night in the hospital with me. He would, and then when he did work, he was bouncing from the hospital to work back to the hospital at night. So yeah, I mean, he 
at the beginning, he was all in. He never, and never, he never questioned what else he should be doing. Like he knew that's where we needed him. And because we had no idea what was going to come. So, but even after Lily came home, I mean, he, he's just, he's such a great dad. And, um, he does so much for both of them. And in the NICU, like whatever I needed when Lily was there, I mean, he did whatever. And and he was one of the ones too, where he never, like I said, we never questioned that she was going to die in the NICU. Like we just, we always thought, okay, we're going to make it through. It's just when, <laughs> how long is she going to be there? But, um, so he kind of was there and he never, he, I mean, after the fact we talked, you know, and he was like, yeah, I did. I, you know, it was scary and I did have things, but he never said anything to me to make me think or question or worry anymore. So it was, he's been amazing. Those, those husbands and support people and um, partners in our life can be play a huge role in getting us through that. Yeah. So absolutely. And even with the Sunday meetings, he was always go, you need to go, you need to go talk to those other moms and you know, whatever he had to do, even after Lily came home, I came to some, you know, and we still did things for Nikki babies for Christmas. And, and he was always the one you need to go, you need to go do that. What would you, you've mentioned a couple of things already for current NICU families, taking care of themselves and making sure that they find the supports that they need in their life and to get through the journey. So do you have any kind of last thoughts on maybe what you would tell a mom who's experiencing this? Be your kid's advocate. There were so many times we had to speak up um, because at the hospital, it's the doctors are only on for so long. And then every two weeks we had a new doctor. So that's where it was kind of hard for us is because they would get them, get a plan. And then the new doctor would come in and change things or, you know, try something new. And we would be like, no, it's not going to, you know, we, we knew her at that point. We knew kind of what was working, what wasn't, um, especially midway through. So, I mean, that was the biggest thing is we had to speak up and say, no, we're not going to do that or no, you know, and, and there were really, really good nurses in there that took care of us. We had three of them that kind of adopted her as their own in the hospital um, and looked after her when we weren't there. And uh, we still talk and everything. And so I think finding the ones that you click with, the nurses that you really feel are on your side, make a relationship with them because they are there with your baby. And I think that helped because anytime we had you know, an issue or a setback with her. She had to have multiple blood transfusions. She had, um, she extubated herself seven times. <laughs> um, and so having those nurses there that are kind of dedicated to your baby or whatever, like it, it just helped. It helped a lot to know that someone was there looking out for her and you know that they're all there, but um, finding the ones that truly connect with you. Those were great. Speaking up, um, having your nurses speak up for you sometimes. And so just having that courage to say something for them, especially when, you, when you've when you been there and you know what your baby does on certain things. That's a big one, taking care of yourself. Um, do, you know, still, and luckily for us, this was our first, so we didn't have to worry about other kids at home, which would have been really hard to have it be your second baby and having to take care of your other daily life and your other kid and stuff. So they are in great hands. Um, I know things have changed uh, since Lily, Lily was there seven years ago. 
take time for yourself because like I said, if you get sick, you can't go up there. Um, or if you have another baby at home, make sure that baby knows that, you know, that there for them too, because it is, it's hard no matter how old they are. Um, if they're at home, we made a book for Lily Bell and it's just all of the terminology that you used in the NICU, uh, because you hear it so often, but we, yeah, we made a book with different, it's an A to Z book and it has like all of the medical terms. So, uh, like B blood gas, that kind of thing, you know, E extubation, intubation. And we have just, we have pictures of her just as a keepsake of, you know, things that we remember of her being in there and terminology that was used quite a lot. And she loves this book. She, she wants to read this book every night before bed. So this is kind of a, a cool little thing that I would say, I'm so glad. And we made one for the grandparents as well. So they have it. So I would say something like that, or, you know, just something that can show them later on, or just for you to have, um, to look through and see how far they've come because it is crazy. I mean, she was three pounds and now she's seven and she's doing competition um, in gymnastics. So she's done a lot and overcome a lot. So it's just neat to see that kind of stuff. I love that. Where did you find that book? We made it through Shutterfly. Um, and it's, it, I don't know if it was for this exactly. Um, it just said it was like an A to Z and we just created our own. And like I said, we put in no, um, notes from nurses. We put in pictures of her. We put in, you know, all of the terminology of stuff that we heard on a daily basis. And um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. And she loves it. She loves looking through it. And so you came herself. up with the words, you actually came up with the words that would associate with each of the letters. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it was like regular, I think they had ones like, you know, mom, M for mom, D, you know, D for dad type of stuff. And then we just changed everything and made it like C for cannula because she was on that for so long. And we have all the pictures of her with her cannula and, um, extubation and intubated kangaroo care. That's something that you do a lot of when you're there at the NICU, um, in is for NICU and nurses. And like I said, we have pictures of all the equipment and notes that they would write us on there just so we had a, you know, you can make pictures and make a photo album, but this is kind of neat. P is for pick line. She had a pick line and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So it was just something we kind of created so we wouldn't forget either, even though you want to sometimes. Absolutely. I know there is so much more to her story and to the journey um, than, than what we just outlined in these last 30 minutes or so, but you, you just did a beautiful job of giving us a, a really good glimpse into that. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.